0: did say all of chapter two. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit and fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also? Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, from apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind.
1: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. Thank you that you've provided it in our language. We are mindful, as we've uh, seen from Matt, that there are languages still that will not have the privilege that we do today to examine what is recorded here. Father, we pray that you would continue to send out workers. We're grateful for among our own midst, the Smiths, David and Melissa, and their family, how they've gone out to Papua New Guinea for the sake of your name and the sake of your word. We pray that you would continue to send out workers to translate scripture. Thank you for David and Melissa and the chance we're going to have to be with them as they come home for furlough. and I pray it would be a time of rest and refreshing in the gospel for them and for you to meet every need uh, that they have and show us ways that we can come alongside to do that as well. Father, I pray as your word goes forth and as we prayed in our elder room, we pray for Calvary today as Chris and Celeste DeGeorge are in China adopting their little baby. And Father, I pray that you would allow for that procedure to go well, that there would be no complications, and you would allow for the bonding to go well with that little boy, with the De George family. And so for those who will stand and preach at Calvary for the next few weeks, Father, would you grant your spirit to empower the preaching of your word? Would you grant a hearing of your word? And would you do so all across our city today that every time your word is open that you would open up eyes and ears to see Jesus to see how Jesus alone meets our deepest needs to see the substitutes that we sometimes go to to see why they fail and why they can't do what they were never created to do and in some ways what they've been corrupted by the devil to appear to do Christ and Christ alone satisfies may that be the full convincing of our heart and mind May that be evident in how we live. We pray that you would use Ecclesiastes, not just to inform us, but to transform us, so that we will not be those who are trying to find significance or lasting satisfaction in pleasures that are fleeting. That we would not be trying to find lasting satisfaction in work, a legacy, but you would show us that how all is given from you, and then we can use these other things in their proper place and time i'm sorry when we make the chief end of our life our own pleasure the chief end of our life our own glory pray you would use this word today to remind us that we have been created above all for your glory and to enjoy you forever so we pray now for the grace and your spirit's empowering to do so even in this word in jesus name we pray amen we've been walking through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, we we started it uh, several weeks ago. We started with chapter one, and the summary statement, if you're new to the book of Ecclesiastes, is really found in chapter one, verse two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Or vapor, vapor, all is a vapor. Breath, breath, all is a breath. And it It's uh, there is no meaning that's here in the in the question in verse three says what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun and when we looked at that first chapter our main understanding was that without Jesus everything is meaningless. Without Jesus, everything is meaningless. And that's what the preacher, as he's called in this text, this is what he's going to show. He's going to now give some specific examples of things that are meaningless. Our second week in Ecclesiastes, Matthew preached that text, and it started with wisdom in chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel to Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So as we think about meaningless, we don't often think about wisdom as being meaningless. As a matter of fact, in the text that Summer read so well for us in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 in our text, Matthew covered these as well because they're related uh, to that first section of wisdom. He says, I turned to consider wisdom. And then ultimately, verse 13, I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. He says, so there is benefit to wisdom, but the problem is the wise and the fool both die. They both die. And so wisdom will not ultimately save us, and wisdom cannot ultimately satisfy us. And so what he'll do all the way through chapter 12, he's gonna take all of these different pursuits that we have. Today, we will consider the pursuit of just pleasure, and the pursuit of work using these two as means uh, to find significance, to find lasting value. And he's going to show us why it's not found in these either. It's not found in wisdom. It's not found in pleasure. It's not found in work. All ultimately answering his, his main text here uh, that Vandy Vandy's everything that could be gained under the sun, it's all meaningless without Jesus, ultimately, that we see. At the top of your notes, I'd love you to write this sentence for me. Uh, for me to be happy comma i need blank and fill in that blank so at the top of your notes if you've got a pen or you're typing on your phone or you're just those that are like i need no pen or phone i'm making mental notes brother whatever you whatever you have for me to be happy comma i need blank and and what would you put in that blank what what is it that you feel that you need to be happy and i hope you don't write jesus just because we're in church just because we're in in the service, I hope you're not right, Jesus. I also hope you don't write Jesus. If it didn't practically play out that way in your life, if you lived as if this week Jesus wasn't what you needed to be happy, and there was something else you pursued, maybe a new possession or a, a new achievement, a new recognition or accolade, think to yourself: If I could just have blank, I'd be I'd be happy. And the real answer is Jesus. That that is the right answer. But, and, and if that were the case you know I, we would be some of the most joyful people in our city and state but here's what I'm afraid of I'm afraid Jesus isn't our answer I'm afraid to that blank for me to be happy I need I'm fearful that many of us don't write Jesus and that's many of us who are in the church that we don't write Jesus there to fill in the blank or if I could just have more of Jesus I'd be happy that I, I don't think jesus is there i mean i have competing candidates in my own my own heart as we finish the school year there are oftentimes i say if i just wouldn't have to set my alarm to get kids ready for school i'd be so happy If i could just get a little more sleep i'd be happy or if i could have a little more time at the lake i was talking with scott davis we love you know, granddaddy has as a boat and we love to take the kids and be out there if i could just have more time on the water man i'd be happy right or if I could have more time that was my schedule rather than having four children who were in activities. I got to be honest, I might have prayed for some baseball games to be rained out last week. And they weren't. So uh, the Lord, I, I guess he just said no in that. Here's one, if I could be physically fit while still eating whatever I want, not exercising at all, I'd be happy. I'd be the happiest man in the world. That's my favorite program. Eat what you want, don't exercise at all. It leads to this. So maybe it's for you, it's something else. Maybe it's a new iPhone or a new car, new house, new job, new whatever. Uh, Another has said, all of us subscribe to the philosophy that what will ultimately satisfy us is more of what we already have. Or... Acquiring something, maybe we do not. But what's interesting is we have more of almost everything today. You understand that? Even compared to to Solomon, who we're going to see in a moment, he had the best of everything. That bro didn't have air conditioning in his house. Took him ten years to build his house. He didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have a heater. He he didn't even have indoor plumbing. Right. So there are things that you have that are greater than Solomon. We have more. Many of us as Americans have more than most people who've ever lived in the world. And yet, we have more of almost everything except happiness. Except happiness. We, we can't seem to grasp it. For most of us, there's a time we actually even prayed for God to grant what we have now and have taken for granted. I began praying for my future spouse in seventh grade and married Tara when I was 26. And that's a long time to pray. But do I now fervently pray just as much thanking God for Tara as I did hey, if I have a wife, I'll be happy, Lord? Do I, do I pray and think? I can remember praying that the Lord would grant children, and he's granted a quiver that's crowded. I, I don't know if it's full. Mama, mama still thinks about adopting. And so it's certainly crowded in the quiver. But I wonder, do I pray and express my gratitude, or do I take for granted and say, if you give me a wife, I'll be happy. If you If you give me children, I'll be happy. And yet when God grants these blessings, do they provide lasting happiness and joy and the problem is this as long as we expect from the gift what only the giver can provide we will always be frustrated as long as we expect from the gift what only the giver can provide we're always going to be frustrated and you know as we grow old wanting more doesn't change it may change what it is we want more of but the wanting of more doesn't change you know how you know that Because it's not six-year-olds sleeping on sidewalks for the new iPhone. It's it's adults that are out there camping out for for iPhones and these things. Much of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to show us ways people try to use uh, to find an escape route to life's meaninglessness or emptiness or futility. And here's another problem. How many of you have seen someone do something and you thought i'll never do that and then you did that how many of you have failed to learn from example before and instead have had to learn from experience anyone right you're like you saw someone do this and you're like i'm not gonna do it and like, i did it right here's what we want to do with ecclesiastes we want to learn from his example so that we don't have to learn from experience this is the history of israel through the old testament they would see the mistakes generations made and they would never learn they would repeat they would repeat it's the same thing i do with countless biblical examples i see them but i repeat them because i don't learn from them and then instead of learning from the example i have to learn from experience and so we're going to see Solomon in chapter 2. He's going to give his heart completely to pleasure. And he's going to accumulate more than any of us ever have. And we're still going to say, ah, but if I did, it'd be different. We're going to struggle to believe him. And so what we need to pray is, God, grant me the grace to believe it wouldn't be any different for me. Help me to see from Solomon so that I won't be foolish and try to find significance without you. Let me say another way. we said that all of life is meaningless. Let me hone in to our particular country for just a moment. The American dream without Jesus is meaningless. That's what Ecclesiastes 2 is about. Work, work, accumulate, pursue your heart's passions. And what the preacher will show us in Ecclesiastes 2, it's all meaningless without Jesus. In our country, we have the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, at least in theory. But what we're free to pursue may indeed ultimately enslave us. And we certainly won't provide freedom as we want more and more of this happiness that we can't seem to grasp. We may gain more, but we never have enough to provide lasting joy, peace, and satisfaction. That's why I told you before in that first sermon, what is it that John D. Rockefeller said? How, how much do you need? He's like, More more. I need, I need more than what, what I have. Pleasure and work ultimately cannot overcome death, though. And they can never fill us with true satisfaction. But you know what? They were never intended to do that. We've corrupted these gifts. And what we've done is we've taken them, and we've made them gods with a little g. We've made them what they were never intended to be, and we've made them ends in themselves instead of means to the end of further joy in God. That our pleasures are meant to give us further joy in God. That that work is meant to give us further joy in God. So if we put our passage in the sentence, I've done it at the top of your notes there. If we allowed our hearts to pursue every avenue of pleasure and every advantage from work, we would find that lasting gain is received, it's not achieved, and it's not based on our striving, but God's giving. So even if we did what Solomon did here, we give our heart to every pleasure and we work as hard as we can, you're ultimately gonna find that what you're seeking, you can't accumulate, you have to accept from God. That it's not in our striving, it's in his giving that we find joy and wisdom and knowledge. That's what he's gonna come to at the end of this chapter. Now, the important questions are, will we learn from him? Will we learn from him today? And number two, how many of you know others that are striving after work and pleasure as ultimate goals? Anybody know any of those people out there? So then question number two is, who else needs to hear this truth from us? Who else needs to hear this truth? Don't let this room be the end of this word. This word needs to go forth because we have our friends and family and coworkers that are enslaved to something that will never provide for them what they are pursuing. Christ and Christ alone does this. Truth number one from our text is that all the pleasures in the world cannot provide what you think they've promised. There is a promise from the world. Sociologists tell us that hundreds, maybe even thousand times a day, we're hit with images, whether it's internet or billboards. How many of you have seen, there's a new real estate agent in town. His picture's on the billboard at Crosstown. Have you seen this guy? Yeah, I've seen this guy. So, one of our elders, Rob. If you have real estate needs, here, Rob can help you. So we're hit with all of these images all the time. And what these images are just trying to tell us is, if you try this, you'll be happy. If you purchase this, you'll be happy. If you go this place, you will be happy. So do this, buy this, go there, and you're going to have satisfaction and pleasure. How many of you have actually purchased something? So how many of you have actually done the As Seen on TV but didn't buy it from the store. You bought it from the as seen on TV. Better raise your hand, Mama. You better raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, we we know <laughs> and and so we we've, we've heard them right, and then we purchase it only to find it doesn't last. There's not joy. How many of you have bought your children maybe a present to find that the box was more intriguing to them than what came in the box? Anybody? I suggested one year that we just give boxes. You know, Lala was like, no. You know, anyways. <laughs> yeah she does she play with the box see play with the box see lala's giving testimony this morning all right so here's the problem though when we buy in and we do it the message then comes from the world well you just didn't do it right or if you tried this one you need one more there's always one more that gets us there so here's his quest he says in, in verse one i said in my heart come now i will test you with pleasure enjoy yourself well why would he do that well, look at where he left off. Look at the verses right before this. He says in verse 17 in the previous chapter, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived this also is but a striving after wind for much wisdom and much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge, increases sorrow. So in his pursuit of trying to find significance, he said, I gave wisdom a try, but man, it was vexing. I am totally vexed, he said, and there was a lot of sorrow and all that. He said, so I'll tell you what, let's just have some fun, right? He sounds like a lot of our students who are graduating in May and will head to college in the fall, and they'll be like, class? What class? I had music appreciation at 7.30 this morning. Mm." That was my roommate at LSU. He did not ever appreciate that music appreciation class at 7.30. He also then had the opportunity to return home at the end of the semester and not be my roommate anymore, and so... His quest is, I'm going to give my heart to pleasure. After wisdom didn't do it, and it was just all sorrow, let's just have some fun. Let's see what the world has out there to have some fun. And so he chose to make his own personal happiness his chief end in life. All right, pop quiz, especially for our children. What is the chief end of man? There it is. Arabella, thank you. To glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of our life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. What he says is pleasure, enjoy yourself. This is what and this is what he makes his sole purpose. I'm not going to lie, this is a temptation for all of us. This is a temptation. I'm not even doing an academic research, right? That we have uh, a temptation to live for ourselves rather than to live for God to say to our hearts just just go after what you want. So his process look at verse 10 of chapter 2. He says whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heartfelt pleasure and all my toil this is my reward for my toil so he says whatever i saw and i wanted i went after this is like when i walk in the convenience store and say i'm getting the mountain dew and the honey bun today buddy right this is where you're like don't hold back right you pass the banana you're like "Mm so you look and he says i didn't hold anything back and he said i didn't because he said i deserve this this is the reward for my work i deserve this pleasure and how many of us feel like him i've I've earned this. I'm owed this. We're always in trouble when we think God owes us anything. We're always in trouble. But he says, it was the receipt of my work. I I didn't hold anything back. Whatever I saw, I did. And then, so he tells you what he's going to do in verse 1. And then the the, the second half of verse 1, he says, but behold, he's going to say that word to say, hey, look at this. He says, this also was vanity. Man, the bro didn't even give you a spoiler alert, right? It was his end of his study, and he didn't even let you know. He said, here it is. I I gave my heart to this, but it didn't provide. And his conclusion is reached not because he failed to find pleasure. That's what you're going to see. But because he found it and found it wanting. So it's not that he didn't find it. He found all that any of us could ever have. It is from the fullness of his own realness of pleasure. He says, it failed to give meaning to my life. So again, the American dream is meaningless without Jesus because you cannot quench the thirst of life just by drinking pleasure. You can't do it. We're not made that way. That chair that you're sitting in, for instance, would it make a good umbrella? No, it might help a little bit, but man, it'd be awkward trying to walk around the parking lot with it. Would it make a good football? for the medical community yes it would because we'd all be jabbed in the face with the the legs of the chair it, it wouldn't make a great football but there would be problems that come with you know what because it's meant to be a chair it's meant to be a chair and our problem isn't that pleasure is bad the problem is when we try to make pleasure something that it wasn't created to be we try to give it another purpose or we're trying to find ultimate purpose in this And he wants to know, are there any pleasures under the sun that truly satisfy the heart of a human being? And the answer is no. Ultimately, pleasure and joy are going to be gifts from the Lord. And we don't want to look to pleasures to provide what they were never intended to do. Some of his that he's going to do here are completely immoral. All of them have the potential to be idolatry if we make them ultimately gods themselves. Another has called his experiment here the house of hedonism. Edenism is that pursuit of pleasure. He says it's filled with wine and women, gardens and gold, songs and servants, but it's hollow when it comes to satisfying our deepest needs. And another has said verses 1 through 11 could be called the chronicles of wasted time. Much of our life, probably as well. Here are the nine basic amusements that he says, and you can look at these. Laughter, alcohol, art or architecture, Nature, money, music, sex, affirmation, and work. Those are the nine that he's going to work through. How many of you would say, that's a decent list? If you're thinking about pleasures, that, that's a decent list. What I wondered, I wanted to ask this week, if we were to list on our paper right now what our hearts longed for this week, which of those would be on there? Or what else would you add? So what our hearts? So he says, I, I told my heart, hey, go for what you want. What is it your heart wanted this week? And then, then number two, if we were to actually list what we let our hearts pursue this week, what would be on that list? Would, would any of these, would all of these, would something else, and where would Jesus be? Did our heart long for Jesus this week? Did, did our heart, did we set our heart free to, to pursue Jesus? He begins, and as he says, hey, I'm going to pursue pleasure, he starts with laughter. Verse two. A set of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So he starts with humor and comedy or just laughing. Do you know that my favorite sound in all the world is Tara's laughter? It's my favorite sound. I love to hear it. In, in the book on Esther that I, I turned in. I wrote about it. But I love when I'm in one room in our house and I can hear her laughing in another. Uh, Because usually, if I'm in the same room, we're crying. But but when she's in another room, I I love to hear her laughter fill our house. It's my favorite thing. And she's it's unrestrained. She she doesn't she she expresses it. I love sitcoms. If given the choice of what I'm going to watch on TV, I want a comedy because I don't want to deal with drama. I want to escape. I want to I want to laugh. And and uh, so sometimes she doesn't appreciate all the things that I find stupid and funny. You know, but they're they're funny. You know, but eventually. You can only watch the office so many times on netflix right there are no new episodes it's 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 done and those people actually aren't real no matter how much time you've given to them at the end the laughter ultimately comes to an end and he will say in the next chapter there's a time to laugh but there's also a time to weep and in the end laughter can't do what we may hope it would do it, it cannot fully satisfy us it certainly cannot rescue us from death how many people have perished laughing in the face of Christ only to find they weren't laughing on the other side of that and that's nothing to laugh about at all alcohol he says in verse 3 I I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Added alcohol, you could add drugs. Obviously, we're in a time where much is said about the opioid crisis, and it's a really big deal, and we should be really concerned, and we should really strive to come alongside any that are struggling with any form of addiction. The question here is, does he get drunk or does he not get drunk? Because he says, look, I I applied it to wine, but he said, "My, my wisdom is still with me. The result doesn't matter either way. The result was it didn't supply ultimate satisfaction. So even if it was just enjoyed with his meal or whether it was totally embraced, it still didn't provide lasting satisfaction. Our problem comes in two ways that we abuse alcohol, escape or excess. When we want to escape the problems, people run to escape it, only to find that those problems are there once the alcohol is faded, or even excess. I don't know of any good decisions that have actually been made by anyone who is intoxicated. Do you? I don't know anyone who's ever made that. My degree is in management from LSU, and I can't remember a single lecture in four years of classes called Drinking and decisions." How Intoxication Leads to Intelligence. I can't, I just, that was never the subject of any of our leadership classes, but I do know the downsides. I know that in my high school graduation, I carried a rose and set it on a chair where one of our classmates should have graduated and sat right next to me. But two weeks before we were to graduate, she was killed a block from our school by a drunk driver at two in the afternoon. Two in the afternoon, he ran the stop sign and plowed her on her way home from school. And so I do know that there's no joy found in that. There's only emptiness and others have said uh, they wish that Super Bowl commercials uh, especially all the ones with alcohol would give the real picture of where these things ultimately lead whether it's an alcoholic anonymous meeting or whether it's hugging a toilet because you're throwing up or whether it's someone who's been used in a hotel room because you're inebriated and didn't make good decisions the end result is there's no real escape found in laughter there's no real escape found in alcohol and even the modest enjoyment of wine he says can't ultimately delight our heart in the way that God can and it was never intended to Christ and Christ alone Ephesians 5:18 don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery but be filled with the spirit there's something only the holy spirit can do in our life that nothing else can be a substitute for he didn't stop there. He says in verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born to, uh, born in my house. Solomon built a temple. Solomon spent 10 years building his house. He built homes for his wives and our country does a lot to preserve historical homes and sites but it's a constant battle of renovation and maintenance and battling decay that comes and the interesting thing is all that we're doing to preserve when christ returns they're going to be obliterated in a moment they're just going to be obliterated in a moment how many of you have ever walked in a building that had someone's name on it and you have no idea who that person is it's just a reminder that they're, what we may think is a lasting legacy and what we build and what we do. And he's trying to make this incredible thing. with. He's trying to replicate the Garden of Eden. And ultimately, he can never bring it back there. And then he has servants who are a part of that. So he looks to, to nature as a part of that too. The I call it the plumes, pools, and people. So he has all the flowers. He has all the pools that he's doing. Some of those still even remain. And then he has servants to to work them. This is where we certainly get into the moral part. We have another picture we want to show you. Uh, this is Saber Masai. He is the forty sixth family. Ian and those who give to Ian's network have been able to liberate from slavery in India. This is one of the families. He was serving in the brick kilns there, and he said that there's ultimately he could never make enough bricks to repay his debt. Someone had to act on his behalf which is a picture of what christ has done for us the picture of redemption paying the debt that is owed to set us free and so while thinking of servants which if you're making all these buildings and planting all these gardens you certainly want people who will work them but it's never our opportunity to own others that's always wrong slavery is still exists in our world and we want to work until it's eliminated and so grateful for ian and his work there especially in india and we want to see what we can do to continue to come alongside and be a part of that that's not all he had he says in the rest of chapter 7 i also had great possessions of herds and flocks watch this more than any who had been before me in jerusalem i also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces Uh, i'll give you a reference here first kings chapter 10 first kings chapter 10 verses 14 through 29 i won't make us turn there because of time here today but it talks about the boatloads of money solomon was being brought people were bringing him money as just tributes just gold. he had more than anyone before had ever had he had more than than we will ever have money and possessions and and they're not going to satisfy he even had music how many of you uh, watched any of the royal wedding yesterday Anybody? All right. I know where you secret people are. Tara was enthralled. I might have got hooked a little myself. But man, when that choir sang Stand By Me, wasn't that great? I thought it was, man, it it was an incredible rendition. And what they had, Solomon actually had. He says, I got singers, both men and women. Why is that significant? Because you saw the picture yesterday if you saw the royal wedding. There was the choir that was all male. Uh, the little boy the little boys singing falsetto it's always weird to me but there they were and men that are singing behind them, but all male versus the stand by me choir that was men and women which in Solomon's day to have men and women who were or the choir that was that big deal it was ginormous and this bro I mean he didn't have an iPod right he didn't have Apple Music or iTunes he he had real singers be like hey sing this right and then they would start be like no 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 I like it in this tempo right and they would do it. He, he had his own music. And music's fun, man. Our, our kids, there's several LSU songs, Susan, that our children request. Alistair, there's one in particular he loves to play over and over and over. It's discipleship is what we call that in our home, right? But ultimately, and we'll, and we'll dance in our home. Uh, I guess it tests the boundaries of Baptists, but we, we'll dance in our home. But ultimately the song's in and someone has to clean dishes, right? So music can't ultimately satisfy. And then... He goes into this. He says, uh, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. Ultimately, sex cannot fully satisfy. Solomon had 700 wives. And I read someone this week that said, I thought that bro was the wisest man. This cannot be true if he chose 700 wives and then 300 concubines. And the translation of concubines is really uh, interesting. but But the summary here is, it is a crude reference to women who are used for sexual pleasure only. They were for his gratification, they were not for, his, for their good. It was only for his gratification, not for their good. And we might look at this and say, man, there's no way, but through the internet and through our own minds, I bet some of us have had multiple lovers ourselves. And the question is, have your fantasies brought satisfaction or shame? Have they brought lasting joy? Our world would say that we need to remove the biblical picture of one man and one woman and just let sexuality be free to be what it is. But don't we already know, haven't we already seen, even in the Bible, it never leads to freedom? Freedom is never found outside of God's good wisdom and God's good parameters. Freedom is found inside that. Maybe on my beard. Is that better? There we go. Sorry, beard. Need a beard, Mike. So... Uh, freedom i want to repeat freedom is not found outside of god's good boundaries it's found in that's where freedom in life is and so solomon says man i had all these concubines but still not lasting satisfaction but even uh, intimacy when it is properly uh, experienced between a man and wife it still doesn't provide lasting joy or full satisfaction it wasn't intended to wasn't made to do that he then says in verse 9 I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem I was better than all y'all this is what he says and then he goes on in just 11 then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil we'll, we'll pick up work in just one, one moment but his conclusion after all of that how many of you would say that's a pretty decent experiment at pleasure those are some good options. If you're going to see hey, if it can be found. If meaning in life can be found in pleasure. These were certainly some good options. But he's already told you, behold, it was vanity. He says that in verse 1. And then look at what he says in verse 11. I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He had the most success the best houses, the most possessions, the richest lifestyle, the most sophistication, finest wines, most incredible parties and feasts, the greenest lawns, the best servants, more money than we could possibly imagine, military fame, popularity, endless entertainment, and as much sexual pleasure as anyone could ever indulge in. And here's what he says. It was all empty. Remember where I started. You're going to be tempted not to believe him. You're going to be tempted to think, well, it'd be different if I had this or that. Please beg God for the grace to believe. It would not be different. Solomon's trying to say, I've had more than you've ever had. I've experienced more than you ever will. And at the end of all that, there was nothing. There was nothing lasting. He outdid it all. He played out every one of his fantasies in real life and none of them fulfilled. But we think, man, if I could just have more. Or we live in a generation that says, hey, do this, pursue what your heart says. Listen to your heart. Jeremiah says, above all, our heart is wicked. We want to listen to the word. We don't want to listen to our our heart. And when our heart conflicts with the word, we want to listen to the word. And so there's this cry of, hey, indulge all of this. But pleasure can be a good thing. But when it's turned into a little God, a little g, it becomes an enslaving thing. You'll also see that he uses these phrases all the time. I made, I built, I made for myself, I made myself, I bought, I bought for me, for myself. Is there a theme that you pick up there? Certainly uh, aiming at himself. And as another has said, putting self first fails to satisfy self and fails to give pleasure. Especially when we, how can I take and consume rather than how can I give and serve? That's always going to be a problem. Putting self first always will fail to satisfy and pleasure never provides what it promises in this way when all you've ever wanted isn't enough is what we could call this when when all you've ever wanted isn't enough and just think about the cost some people pursue these things and solomon there there may not have been cost of his family but how many of you know people who pursued these things and it cost them their family it cost them their job it cost them relationships that they had and so The fundamental problem here is when we seek pleasure as a substitute for God rather than seeking ultimate pleasure in God. Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. But you know what people hate? People hate the message. what, What does the Bible say? Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he has to what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and do what? Yeah, that's on the billboard, right? Put that on the Super Bowl commercial. Deny self, take up cross, follow Jesus, and you'll find more joy than you ever have, right? And when the world looks at us, they're like, that seems crazy. I think the problem is what they failed to see is us doing that fully and our failure to fully trust Jesus, that there really is more joy in this path. That if we would deny self and pursue him, we would find more joy and pleasure than if we just embraced self and engaged it in the pursuit of all of these things and solomon is trying to show you that the end of the american dream in itself without jesus is just meaningless we think we want more and more but but the question is, is there not more so a couple questions for us what does our pursuit of pleasure say about us just think about you and think about this past week what does your pursuit of pleasure say about you is our pursuit of pleasure an alternative to the pleasures of god or does it flow out of contentment in God and we're able to use pleasures in their proper perspective? Did we pursue pleasures this week only for escape or entertainment, or do we use it for expanse, for more praise and gratitude in God? Are we using each pleasure to expand our joy in Him, or are we making pleasure ends in itself? So they were never provide they were never created to do that, and they will not provide what the world says that they will. Truth number two, no matter how hard we work, one day everything we own will be owned by others. Isn't that good? That car you're driving, one day, the, however you got here today, one day someone else will drive it. Or it'll just be sitting, rusting, or it'll be in a million parts, right? Yay! So, no matter how hard we work, here's the three D's. Death, distribution, despair. That's what he gets to in these, in these verses in 18 through 23. I'm skipping 12 through 17 because Matthew did a great job covering those Uh, a few weeks ago in 18 to 23 death distribution despair here's the truths that you'll see even if you acquired all your heart desired you can't keep it forever because death comes to all that's what he was getting at with the fool and the wise he says we all die and then he just says in verse 18 i hate work how many of you feel the same way i mean you feel the same way monday morning you know or uh, throughout that he said i hated my toil in which i toil under the sun seeing I must leave it to the man who will come after me. So even if you get it all, you can't take it with you. The age-old illustration is there's never a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You you cannot take it with you. And then his point here is, and then when you leave it, you don't know if the people who are going to get it are going to be wise or they're going to be fools. And he's really frustrated by that. He says, you could have worked really hard for this, and then they're dumb when they get all this. He goes on to say, In verse 19, Who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool? We know that Rehoboam, who followed Solomon, was a fool. He lost ten-twelfths of the tribes of Israel because of his disobedience and because of Solomon's own decisions. And so Solomon himself could be a picture of this, that the one who comes behind you is not trustworthy with what you have left there. I read this week about a billionaire who's broke. She got divorced from her husband... And and her settlement was two and a half billion dollars. Now, how many of you think you could survive a couple of years on that? All right? And there's some interesting things. She's had tons of uh, plastic surgery to make her face look like a cat, like to have cat features. She's called Catwoman. That's what actually intrigues me. I, I, I was like, who's Catwoman? You know, I read this article that Catwoman is broke. I thought it was one of the movie stars from one of the movies. No, it's not. It's. A lady who had two and a half billion dollars and spent it on things like making her face look like a cat. That's a good example of what Solomon's talking about everybody. (laughs) Some bro accumulated billions of dollars and she's like, I wanna look like Tom from Tom and Jerry. (laughs) There it is, right? It's no guarantee. How many people do you think invested their money into Harvard? only to see harvard working against the things of god from what it was founded on right you don't know when we put our trust in institutions or these things the bottom line of what he's going to say is hey if you get all you have you're still going to leave it to somebody and then they may be really dumb with it anyway and they may be foolish with it and so what he's going to say is apart from god we should despair because work has no significance work has no meaning but as we know from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, because Jesus is alive, our work isn't in vain. The, the other aspect, he just says, is work is full of toil and striving. How many of you found work to be hard at times? You see, before the fall, work was good. The Work was always intended to be good. But the fall, Adam and Eve's rebellion made work hard. It made it cursed. It made it difficult. And so he says in our text here, uh, verse 22, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation put that on the promotion when you're hiring new employees all right come work with us you'll be full of sorrow and vexation be toil and striving join our happiness all right? Let's see how that goes on monster.com or whatever your recruiting site is and there's the frustration of how many of you each week do things that you did the last week at your job you You repeat them over and over, and maybe there's certain things that are different, but for the most part, you're doing it over and over and over. How many of you have coworkers that are lazy or incompetent, and that can be frustrating at times, right? I won't make you raise your hands, but they may you may work with them. I don't want to start a fight today, but it can be frustrating, or how many of you have times work has kept you from your family things that that you want to be with family or maybe there have been situations at work where your boss wanted you to cut some corners and be unethical man that's vexing that's frustrating and so another has said work is too much strain without much gain and and then it's so much to the point this bro can't even get a good night's rest look at verse 23 for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation even in the night his heart does not rest He's like, man, I got to do this, I got to I gotta go there, I, I, I can't even rest. And I put the quote there from uh, Philip Reichen for you. It just says, if we try to find significance in our work, it will only end in disappointment. If you make work your life, it will leave you empty. And so his question, he begins with this thesis, it's all meaningless. He says, well, let me give you a couple examples. And he started a few weeks ago, we saw wisdom. Wisdom can't provide ultimate joy and satisfaction. Pleasure. All of these things cannot provide lasting joy and satisfaction. Even work itself, which it's good and right for us to do, cannot provide work and satisfaction. You can be a hedonist who engages with all the concubines, or you can be fully moral, and you're still going to get the same result. They will not provide what only God can provide, which gets us to our last truth. He makes a transition in verse 24, and this is what he says in the final three verses there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil don't you find that ironic after he's in like it's all vanity right and he says there's nothing better than this right but here's his point this also i saw is from the hand of god for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the busyness of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That third truth on your notes there is that ultimately what we seek from the world can ultimately be supplied from God. That's what he comes to. He's gonna flesh this out even more in chapter 12, but he gives you a sneak peek. This is actually the first positive thing he says about God. And he's saying, apart from him, you're not gonna have joy. He says, Where do they come from? Look at the language he used that I saw this is from the hand of God. And he says, For to one who pleased him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So it's not our striving, but God's giving. We cannot achieve lasting joy, but we can accept it from him. And so God grants our joy in eating, drinking, and working. It doesn't come from having the right employer. It doesn't come from having the right employee it doesn't come from being in the right profession it doesn't come from making a lot of money joy in the work comes from god it comes from god it's a gift of his god gives the gift of our ability to enjoy labor in this life he gives wisdom and knowledge and joy james will write years after solomon james will say every good and every perfect gift is from where above Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. First Timothy 6, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. First Timothy 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. When we are satisfied in God, the pleasures that didn't satisfy us can be used to further our joy in him. So when he is in his proper place, then all of these other things are in their proper place and they can be used as means of joy. Laughter, wine, designing good homes, buildings for the good of others, parks, walking in nature, silver and gold given for the kingdom, music that fuels our worship for God, even intimacies as it was intended to be. Here's what you need to be sure that you do not misunderstand from this text. God is not trying to take pleasure from you God is trying to show you where true and lasting pleasure is found. God is not a killjoy. God is trying to show you how all of these other things ultimately don't leave you with pleasure. God himself is full of joy. He's full of pleasure. Now, this is something that's very important because it says in verse 26, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. No more important question you should ask this morning than, who is that? Who is it that pleases God? because the one who pleases God is the one who gets these things. The other group, he says, is to the sinner. The sinner's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. Ultimately, we're going to see, we'll just just turn over, turn over to Ecclesiastes 12, the very end of this. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, and in chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, all's been heard, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So who's the one who pleases God? Well, the one who can keep his commands with all that they are. The problem is I can't do that. I can't keep his commands with all that I am. I can't keep all of his commands. But it's interesting. There is one who came, and when he was baptized, and when he was transfigured, there were these words that rained out. This is my son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know the one who pleases God most? Christ. And do you know what happens as we saw last week from Ephesians 1? When we are connected with Christ, who do you think is the one who then pleases God? Through Christ, he is pleased with us as well. This is the key and the only hope. We get to see what Solomon didn't have the full rest of the picture to know. The one who pleases God more than any is Christ. And as we look to Christ for our hope and salvation, then what's true of Christ can be true of us. Our union with Christ makes it possible that God is pleased with us. Now, here's why this is important. Please look at what it says. In verse 26, the one who pleases him, God's given wisdom, knowledge, and joy, but to the sinner he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give the one who pleases only to give to the one who pleases God. My mentor Jim Shaddix always uses this phrase when he wants you to pay attention. He says, "Come in here close. Come in here close, church. You don't want to miss this." To the one who pleases God, it's not just that they will have more, and that the sinner will have less. To the one who pleases God, they will have all, and the sinner will have nothing. And that's important because you and I know people who are outside of Christ. Do not let that miss you. Let that wash over you for a moment. That everything they're striving for will amount to nothing one day. And in the end, I don't even want all their stuff because Jesus is a far surpassing treasure. But it's not just if you do Jesus, it will be a little better for you. Apart from God, there will never be joy. There will never be wisdom. There will never be knowledge. And so may God forgive us for all the times we try to find these things separate from him. Every time you and I try to pursue sin because we think it's a better way to find what only God can provide. And may we not stop being broken for those that we know are striving after the wind even today. Who needs to hear a gospel word this afternoon from us? Who needs to say, stop striving and look to Jesus? Look to Jesus. We don't want to miss this text. Jesus is still working today. And Philip Riken has said, we share in that good work by giving people the gospel, by singing God's praise, by loving our neighbors, by praying for God's kingdom to come, by giving generously to Christian ministry we also share in that good work by doing our own ordinary daily task in a way that gives glory to God. Here's what Luther said. The entire world should be full of service to God. Not only the churches, but the home, the kitchen, the cellar, the workshop, the field. Wherever we are, we're working not to achieve, but because Christ has achieved. And we work in the joy that's already been given. And through that, expands our joy further in the lord george beverly Shea used to always sing i'd rather have jesus than silver or what do you know gold i'd rather be his than have riches untold i'd rather have jesus than houses or lands i'd rather be led by his nail pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway i'd rather have jesus than anything this world affords today remember where we started this sermon if I just had this, I would make, I would be happy. I hope the answer is Jesus. He is the only sufficient answer. couple questions as we will transition and sing our songs of response. Do you and I have pleasures and work in their proper place? Or if we made them substitutes for God? Are we using pleasure, possessions, relationships, and work in ways that God never designed them to be used? Have we in any way been trying to use them as ends in themselves rather than means to more joy in God? Are we guilty of thinking if we have more of something we already have or if we were able to acquire something we don't currently possess, then this would make us happier than we are currently? And are we guilty of thinking our lasting legacy will be found in our work ethic? I hope not. And I hope that we will be broken because in Christ we have all. Without Christ we have nothing. And that we will be broken for those who we know are still outside of Christ. If that's you today in this room, we beg you, look to Christ. Look to Christ and find in Christ all. Most importantly, find in Christ what pleasure and work cannot do. Life. Joy. Salvation. We beg you today as Paul did. Be reconciled to God. If we've put pleasure and work in improper places, I beg you today to repent. Turn from that. If you keep trying to find pleasure around God instead of through Him, I beg you to repent. Confess that. We've already had a time of confession in our service. This is the wonderful thing. Jesus is not upset when we bring more confession to Him. He's our only hope. And we bring and we find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. So maybe you don't need to sing Maybe you don't even need to stand. Maybe you need to sit and pray, and confess. Maybe you need to intercede. Maybe you know someone who's striving, 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 and they need the gospel word this afternoon. You don't even need to go to lunch with your family. You need to go have a conversation. Say, stop striving. Look to Jesus. However the Spirit guides you through his word, our prayers that you won't be informed, but transformed by that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for rescuing us from our own pursuits that will never provide what they promise. Everything without you is meaningless. American dream without you is meaningless. Thank you for Solomon. I pray that we would not look at that and think, well, we would do something different and it would provide a different result. Please, God, grant the grace to believe there is no different result. So help us to learn from this and to turn to you who grants joy, who grants wisdom, who grants knowledge, who grants food, it says. That's why in a few minutes when we gather over our offering, we acknowledge every week all that we have comes from you. Our jobs, our skills, our abilities, our families, every provision, they come from you. Please help us to stop seeking from the world what only you can supply. Please help us to st- stop trying to leave a legacy of just work ethic separate from you. Help us to put rock, work and pleasures in the proper places as a means of furthering our joy in you, as a means of furthering the gospel, but never as ends in themselves. I'm sorry when we have often we have often said to our hearts, just pursue whatever pleasure you want. Please forgive us for foolishly thinking. There's pleasure found outside of you or in spite of you. Please use this text to open our eyes, to show us that in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Grant the grace to believe that verse, not just to know it. So we don't want to be informed. We want to be transformed. Use your spirit and your word in our lives. Please break our hearts for those who are still in the center category of Ecclesiastes 2. We're just accumulating stuff that will never be for their benefit and they will lose it all. Most importantly, their souls. God, we continue to beg you that you would grant more salvations this year than you have the previous years here at Trace. May it begin even this day. May it begin this week as we go to those whom we know are striving and they need to rest in Jesus. They need the gospel. It's in his name we pray. Invite you to respond. If you want to stand and sing, stand. If you need to sit and pray, sit and pray. Mitchell will lead us.